from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we'll hear from middle schoolers to college seniors about what's motivating them to get politically involved. A recent Harvard Youth poll found that more 18 to 29-year-olds say they will definitely vote in this year's election compared to 2016. We'll learn what issues are motivating these young voters and what they thought of last night's debate. And for those still too young to vote, we'll learn how they're trying to influence the 2020 election. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Young voters have a track record of low turnout in elections, but a recent Harvard Youth poll finds that 63% of 18 to 29-year-olds say they will definitely be voting this year, up from 47% in 2016. In this hour, we'll hear from first-time voters and college students about what's driving their political engagement, and from middle and high school students later in the hour, who are too young to vote, but wanting to influence this year's election. Joining me now is Brandon Jetter, a student studying political science and history at UC Davis. He's also a columnist for the California Aggie. Thanks so much for joining us, Brandon Jetter. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, a student studying political science and Chicano studies at Fresno State. She's also a legislative intern at the Maddie Institute and president of Ignite at Fresno State, a chapter of the national group promoting the next generation of women political leaders. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Spencer Linquist, a student who's studying political science at Pepperdine University. Spencer is also president of the Pepperdine College Republicans. Thanks for being with us, Spencer. Thank you. Glad to be with you. And Spencer Linquist, I'll start with you. I mean, I mentioned that the poll uh, in the introduction is finding that more 18 to 29-year-olds than in previous years say they will definitely vote. Do you see that kind of engagement on your campus? There certainly is a sense nowadays that um, just because politics has become so pervasive, since it is so evident and so tangible in our daily lives, that it is motivating more young people to come out and vote. And this is absolutely something that I'm seeing among my peers at Pepperdine. Right now we are online, um, so we're not seeing that interaction face-to-face -face on campus. But um, it is very clear that there is a renewed and uh, perhaps uh, altogether new interest in politics among my generation. Is that what motivated you to restart the College Republicans at your school this semester? That was a lot of it. I saw that right now is a pivotal time for our country. It's a pivotal time in our history. And we need to have people um, who balance this conversation now. So that's what we're doing at the Pepperdine College Republicans. We are bringing our side to the table. And uh, there isn't, uh, there's never been a more important time for that work. Uh, Elizabeth Rocha, you need the same question to you. Do you find that engagement uh, among your peers that you can tell online is higher? Yes, I want to agree with that. I think a lot of my friends and people that I know very well are being more heavily engaged with the conversations. And I think it's more due to the fact that they do not feel represented with who is currently running for office. And they want to be more vocal about that and want to make sure that their voice is being heard. And so I feel as if a lot of my peers on social media 
are reposting how they feel and posting a lot of the content that they support. And I think it's more motivating because they, again, need to have their voice heard and I feel like they don't feel represented. And so with that in mind, it just has been a lot of the young people being more involved and engaged with voting for people who will be able to make a difference and having them their voices heard as well. And so I do see a lot of that within my peer group and within people that I follow across the country. And so it's very enthusiastic to see more young people involved and engaged with this conversation. Hmm. Well, Brandon Jetter, you've described yourself as a moderate at UC Davis. And I was wondering, what is driving your political engagement this year? What issues do you care about most? Um, you know, I think they're all quite important. Um, we're coming off of like what is very much has been a sort of reckoning um, of a national conversation on race. And I think that not just myself, but for the entirety of the campus and the entirety of my age demographic, that's something that's important. But not to mention, we're also looking at, you know, a large economic downturn, one that's disproportionately affecting, you know, people that are college students or recent graduates. So I think those two issues in particular um, have, you know, pretty broad appeal along uh, the entire political spectrum, not just myself, but, you know, also my peers. So have you decided who you're voting for this time? I mean, I'm definitely, you know, I, you know, I try to stay, you know, kind of objective, but, you know, definitely, definitely leaning towards Biden in this case, you know, probably just because just because of the, the people that I associate myself with and, you know, the just, you know, looking out for them rather than myself. And do you so you say leaning? It doesn't sound like you're terribly excited, say, to vote for Joe Biden. Yeah, so I, I think that kind of reflects my age demographic. None of us, you know, really that was for, for those of us that participated kind of, uh, you know, in the in the DNC primary, none of us, um, for the most part, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for the most part, we supported uh, other candidates. Um, so we, you know, we've kind of come to the part where it's, you know, we're kind of making a sacrifice. <laughs> Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, similar question to you. What are the issues that you care about most? And I understand you will vote for Biden, but you yourself are not necessarily enthusiastic about it either. Can you describe how those two things fit together? Yeah, of course. I think there's so many things that Joe Biden has to bring to the table where he's willing to work with other people that currently are supporting Bernie Sanders. And that speaks a lot of volume to me since I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. And thinking about who I should vote for in this election, I think Joe Biden has a more charismatic and a character where he's able to work with others and not demean or make outlandish claims that the other candidate does. And so that has made me a little more lenient toward Joe Biden. And although I'm not enthusiastic, I think a lot of the issues that I care about, ranging from healthcare, education, and Im immigration reform, um, he definitely has a more set plan in addressing the way that I want to see the country go toward, not the current situation that we are in. And so you would like leadership that that's less demeaning. And it sounds like even though you don't agree with everything that Joe Biden says, you feel like at least he has a plan to move forward with it. Is is that a correct way of summarizing yeah, what you just said? Of course. Yes. Yeah. And I feel as if in the debate, like we saw both of the candidates just, you know, fall into name calling and belittling each other. And so it was very disappointing. But overall, like you said, like, yes, I think Joe Biden has a more sense of being able to work with other people. And that's so important in this position of presidency in our country. 
So, Spencer Lindquist, I'd love to get your reaction to the debate last night. I mean, what did you think of President Trump's performance? Well, President Trump's performance really was impressive when you take into account the fact that at many points throughout the debate, it wasn't simply a debate between President Donald Trump and Vice President Joe Biden, but it was also um, Donald Trump versus uh, Chris Wallace, who is the moderator. Uh, and the American people put a lot of trust, especially in this tumultuous time, in the moderator of, uh, of such a contentious presidential debate. Uh, and unfortunately, that special role that Wallace was given as a moderator, uh, he, he, he didn't succeed in that role. He let down the American people um, in this role. And we can see this in multiple, multiple situations. He, uh, for example, he misquoted Donald Trump on Charlottesville, um, a grievous, grievous misrepresentation there. Uh, he also referred to critical race theory, which is a, a radical anti-American uh, training system. If I could just stop you for a second. It, uh, through, through, uh, as racial sensitivity training. Spencer, um, how did, how did um, Chris Wallace misquote the president on Charlottesville? Chris Wallace, um, he perpetuated the myth that Donald Trump did not disavow people who were Nazis at Charlottesville. Um, and if we listen to the entire clip of Donald Trump, he does say that there were decent people on both sides. And then in the next breath, he says that he is not talking about the people who are Nazis or white nationalists. And he very clearly uh, gives wow. a, a refutation of, of them. But that was not, that was not uh, brought up during the debate. Did it worry you when President Trump refused to condemn white supremacists on stage? That moment in the debate, um, I think, was was very pivotal. Uh, it was um, it was a, a meaningful uh, part of the debate, and that is a concern of a lot of Americans that he didn't give that outright uh, disapproval. That being said, he has given this disapproval of, of people who are white supremacists. He has given this a time and time again. And we can see this recently with his platinum plan, where he designated the KKK as a terrorist organization. Um, I think what is more worrying is that there was no equivalent call for Joe Biden to disavow uh, the racial agitators or the uh, Marxists in Antifa, who this summer have been wreaking havoc on our country and our country's major cities. In terms of whether or not you think, it sounds like that was a moment of pause for you. Do you think that it would change your mind or deter you from being enthusiastic about voting for Trump? Or did it make you feel like after that incident and yesterday's performance that you feel just as enthusiastic to vote for the president? That moment, while um, it was worrying for a lot of Americans, admittedly, uh, I have no doubt in my mind where Trump stands on this issue. Uh, and even if that was something that was maybe not worded too well, uh, not, not a question that was taken very well in the debate, there's no doubt in my mind where he stands on this issue. So no, his debate performance last night did not make me any less enthusiastic to vote for President Trump on November 3rd. And what are the issues that really drive your voting habits? What are the ones you care about the most? Well, what I really care about in this election um, is that Donald Trump wants to put America first. And that has been his message since he ran for office in 2016. But we're living in a country that uh, I believe everybody would agree we have a lot of division in this nation. We're living in a very trying time. And Donald Trump is bringing a message of national pride. Uh, and he's attempting to bring a message of national unity as well. 
And that is something that we need right now as a country because we will not progress, we will not move forward if we stay attached uh, to the past in a way that isn't constructive, but that just serves to shame and diminish and guilt our country. What we need right now is a leader who defends this nation and who loves this nation and who loves the people of this nation. And that leader is Donald Trump. We're talking about voting in the 2020 election with a panel of young voters. We're hearing from Spencer Lindquist, a student at Pepperdine University and president of the Pepperdine College Republicans. We're also hearing from Brandon Jetter, a student at UC Davis. He's a columnist at the California for the California Aggie. And Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, a student at Fresno State. And she's also a legislative intern at the Maddie Institute and president of Ignite at, at Fresno State as well. We'll be talking more about the debate with this panel of uh, college students a couple of whom are actually voting in their first presidential election. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. What are your questions for our guests about what's on the minds of young voters? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Nina Kim. This is Forum. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about voting in the 2020 election with young voters today, and we're joined by Spencer Linquist at Pepperdine, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, a student at Fresno State, and Brandon Jetter at UC Davis. And you, our listeners, are with us if you want to join the conversation. Call 866-733-6786 or post your questions online. Uh, you can do that at KQED Forum on Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us at forum at kqed.org. What are your questions for our young voters? What are you curious to know about their views on this election? Are you a young voter yourself under the age of, say, 25? Weigh in with your thoughts. And uh, Brandon Jetter, what about for you in last night's debate? Was there a moment that stood out for you or concerned you? Yeah, so in terms of the overall debate, I think we kind of saw like um, something that I think definitely me and people in my age demographic might disapprove of. And that was kind of a total embrace of this sort of like cross-talking and sort of... Um, decline, I suppose, of, of, of the, the standards of debate. Um, we kind of saw, I mean, we know the personality that, that the president is in terms of who he is. And, you know, regardless of your opinion politically, I think both sides recognize that he, he very much is a showman that in many regards is his talent. Um, and it's something that he relies on in the debate. But we kind of saw Joe Biden sort of try and pick up that and kind of go toe to toe with him. Um, you know, I think the big the big thing that people remember that night is going to be him saying, you know, just shut up, man. Um, so when, you know, looking at that, um, that's one thing that stood out is kind of how these two candidates sort of are almost focusing a bit less on the issues and they're sort of kind of attacking each other based on character and based on what they think might appeal to voters. And at, at this time, for whatever reason, um, they sort of think that, that that's what they need to focus on. Uh, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, you mentioned that you were hoping that last night's onstage event would help you feel more enthusiastic about voting for Joe Biden. Did it do that for you? What were you looking for? And, and did that come through? Um, I think that overall, I was just disappointed in the way that both of the candidates just 
again, like we're belittling one another and attacking each other with fallacious tactics. I was not looking forward to Joe Biden having that type of, I guess, personality or persona going onto the debate stage. I was expecting a more professional, a more aggressive tone in a sense of not condoning that type of behavior and acting like an actual president for our country. But overall, I think Joe Biden did do a good job at uh, at even po- points of the debate, just staying quiet and li- letting Trump just talk throughout whatever he was saying. Biden was just sitting there like, okay, like, nice that he's just, look at li- this, this is your president. Like, this is what you want for the next four years. And so that really spoke a lot of volume to me that he just let Trump talk. Um, so it was very impactful in the sense of, I guess, the more mature way that I would want a president to be. Mm. And at some parts, uh, Biden did defend himself, and I was proud of that because I feel as if people often get bullied by Trump, and I felt as if Biden was able to stand his ground and at each point of the debate be assertive, especially when they talked about his son. And so I, I respected the way that Biden held himself, and it did make me feel a little more comfortable, but again, I just... I feel like I have to vote for Biden just so we don't have another four years of what our country has been. But it sounds like you were a bit turned off, say, when Biden was calling the president a clown or a liar or the worst president that this country has ever had. You didn't want to see that, it sounds like. Yeah, of course. I think I expected a more cordial and a more let's talk policy type of debate. But again, since 2016 as well, it's been the same type of debate, the same type of atmosphere of just attacking one another. And so I was just not looking forward to that. I wanted Biden to come out stronger than what he did. Um, but I do feel as if he exemplified a more mature type of way of going through and disagreeing with some people. I see. Did it worry you at all to hear President Trump refuse to say he would abide by the results of the election and decline to tell his supporters to stay calm and avoid civil unrest until those results were certified? Uh, yes, that did concern me. And I wanted to touch a little bit on um, his refusal to condone white supremacy. I think he has failed to do that as a president. And uh, we can see that when Charleston was going on, he said they were both fine people. And that to me speaks a lot of volume of his actions. If he does not accept the results, he will not tell people to stop acting outlandish. The way that he has been acting when it comes to people of color, such as the Black Lives Matter movement coming out and protesting, I feel as if they're not going to be the same type of assertive manner to stop a type of behavior if he does not accept the results, whether or not they go in his favor. Spencer Lindquist, are you concerned about the legitimacy of this election? And are you concerned about vote by mail? Absolutely. I believe what we saw in, uh, in Pennsylvania, where there were ballots that were discarded, they were exclusively ballots for Donald Trump. That certainly raises some eyebrows, and rightfully so, because the election, uh, this is a sacrosanct moment in American history. And once one or both sides loses faith in the election, uh, it's not good for national health. Uh, So we need to address this matter. Um, And we, as all Americans, right, left, middle, we need to have faith in our election, because if we don't, then we are on the path to more and more division. So we absolutely need to be able to trust. Uh, we need to be able to trust our elections. And right now, unfortunately, we cannot. And Spencer Linguist, what is your main news source? I get my news from a variety of places. Um, so this will range from 
uh, every now and then I do actually watch a little bit of CNN, believe it or not. Um, but I do listen to Fox. I do uh, read the Daily Caller, uh, the Federalist, a whole range of news sources. Um, but this this election, again, this election is pivotal. And the fact that we do have any doubts about its legitimacy is something that should concern all Americans. And we know that ever since Donald Trump announced his candidacy in the 2016 election, that the media has been attacking him. The established powers have been attacking him. Uh, and they have attacked him with the Russia hoax. And uh, they have attacked him at every single turn. The entire establishment has mounted their defenses against him. Uh, so we shouldn't for one minute believe that they won't do the same exact thing in this election. Well, let me ask you, uh, Brandon Jetter, what your news sources are. I know that uh, you're a columnist for the California Aggie. What is your main news source and how do you feel about the way the media has covered Trump? Yeah, so I get my um, so my news from <clears throat> a variety of different sources. I try to space it out across the partisan uh, spectrum. Um, so that includes, you know, more mainstream things like NBC or The Atlantic. But I also, like I said, I like to, to get other viewpoints. So if I, you know, want right-wing views, I'll read something like The American Conservative <clears throat> or National Review. If I want more leftist views, I'll go with something like Jacobin. Um, and then in terms of the media coverage, um, I definitely think there is a bias, obviously. Um, generally speaking, the media does, you know, um, at this point, we've, we've created a media ecosystem where it's almost, it's very difficult to find uh, news that is not partisan. Um, just because, you know, that's what sells is, is you know, reiterating the, the preconceived notions that people have about their candidate one way or the other. And that applies to the entirety of the political spectrum. So um, I think it's, yeah, ultimately very difficult to find um, like objective news. Well, this listener, Lottie tweets, I watched the presidential debate with a 14 year old last night, even though they were blown away by the things that Trump was doing and saying. I told them that usually presidential debates are kind of boring, but this is a whole new chaotic world with Trump. We're joined now by Kat Mrozak, a high school student in Pasadena. Kat, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You know, just a moment ago, we were talking about voting in this year's election and confidence uh, in the legitimacy of the election results, but also just in terms of issues that could come up with vote by mail, uh, not so much fraud as we have seen so far that there has no, there are no reports of widespread fraud and have not been experiences of widespread fraud when it comes to mail in balloting, though there are sometimes mistakes. I understand that you've been working hard to make sure that you will be able to vote because you turn 18 on November 2nd. Yes, I do. Um... So tell me what you've been doing to try to make sure your votes counted this year. Uh, yeah, so I pre-registered to vote at 16, actually on my 16th birthday, um, and I know that that's a thing in California, I'm not sure about other states, but, um, so I'm pre-registered, but I need to basically call the county on my 18th birthday, um, the day before the election, and confirm my registration to make sure that it, um, it, everything's good so that I can go and vote on election day. Um, and so you'll likely try to do that in person? Yeah, I don't really have a choice uh, to vote by mail or not. I but, see. Um, yeah, I'm not worried uh, about necessarily, um, you know, it's just important to me that I get to vote and that I get to have my voice heard. So you mean your health and safety related to the pandemic per se? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about the pandemic, but it's more important to me that I get my you know, my voice heard and out there and, you know, I'll social distance and wear a mask and be careful. But yeah, 
most important to me right now is, is being able to vote. And what is driving that? I'm, I mean, I've been really concerned about just so much going on. I've been concerned about climate change, about women's rights, about, you know, COVID-19 and how the pandemic's being handled. Um, I've seen my generation, you know, I'm in this kind of unique place right now where a lot of my classmates can't vote. And so I'm watching, you know, a lot of my peers just be terrified about, you know, some of the things that are happening in this country right now and not have that voice to, you know, be able to be heard. And so it's been really important to me that I, you know, I use my vote and I use my voice for the people that can't. Well, let me go to some callers. Sean in Pleasanton, join us. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you today? I'm well. Go right ahead. I have a quick question for the, for the panel, and I'd like you to discuss the, the boy crisis in America today. How come we don't spend more time talking about the challenges of boys? And it is a major issue in this country. Boys are behind um, significantly in K-12 education, and they're grossly outnumbered in college, college today as well. But I'd like to hear the take of um, the callers, and if you have a question, or the, uh, the panel, please let me know. Uh, sorry, could you say that one more time? How come we don't spend more time discussing what exactly? How come we don't spend more time discussing the challenges of boys today? Of boys. Because boys are way behind academically. I see. In K-12 education and in college. They're, they're grossly behind. And Thanks. it's a major challenge in this country. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate that. Uh, Brandon Jetter, do you want to take a stab at Sean's question? Yeah, so I mean that's a, that's an interesting perspective. That's not exactly one that you know I was thinking about, but um, yeah, I don't know. That is that is that is something that I, I suppose should be discussed. I'm not entirely familiar with the the discrepancy at the K through 12 level, but there definitely is you know um, increasing uh, gender gaps you know in higher education. I'm not sure if that is um, product of a certain system or if that is just kind of um, you know self selection based on what people are pursuing. So. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, are is that a concern for you, Spencer Linguist? Is this one of your issues? Well, it's certainly not something that I was uh, considering coming into this conversation. Uh, but I, I think that Sean does raise an interesting question. And to answer his question, one of the reasons that that is something that isn't frequently discussed is because, unfortunately, uh, in our society, we have come to associate masculinity with toxicity and with privilege. Um, and this is part of a broader trend in America where various people in our country um, aren't allowed, socially speaking, um, to, to advocate for themselves because the dialectic has been changed so that certain people are attached to, to ideas of oppression or to ideas of privilege or to ideas of, of this uh, to toxicity that we see with masculinity. Uh, so I'd say the first step into advocating for, um, for men or for boys is to deconstruct the stigma that there is something toxic about being a man. Well, I think that there's a different definition of, of toxic masculinity where there is some bipartisan support around that being an issue. But I we have so many calls coming on, so I'm gonna try to get a few more people on and let me see if I can go to Andrew in Simi Valley. Hi, Andrew, join us. Hi, Andrew, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. So I wanted to discuss um, Biden's outright rejection of the the far left. 
But as we've seen with Biden, a lot of not Biden, I'm sorry, with Bernie Sanders, you know, a lot of his supporters were millennials. And in fact, there are, you know, a million people in this country or more who identify as socialists or anarchists who believe in things like Medicare for all uh, and limiting income inequality. And yet uh, Biden sort of outright rejected, um, you know, Medicare for all. And I myself am part of uh, a think tank that recently launched named the Gravel Institute. It's mostly comprised of millennial thinkers. And all of them are what, we, what would be traditionally called far left people. So what what's our motivation to vote for Biden? And if we shouldn't be voting for Biden, you know, what what happens with this large voter base of youth who are, quote unquote, radical? So you feel like the it's proportional in terms of people who are socialists, as you say, or anarchists with the far right movement that Chris Wallace was asking the president to disavow yesterday? Well, first of all, you can't equate uh, the far right with the far left because the, the far left uh, is in opposition to racism and s- systemic inequality. The things that the status quo uh, is trying to, you know, is being maintained by people who are far right. There's a strict difference between violence and self-defense and violence and trying to oppress. So I'm sorry, your your line, by the way, is just clicking a little bit. So I, I'm trying to get gather what you're saying. So you're not necessarily referring to the moment in the debate itself when the president was trying to get Joe Biden to to condemn Antifa, for example. That's not what you're referring I'm, I'm, to. I'm also referring to um, the sort of general disenfranchisement of the Democratic Party with um, the far left in general, because they far left millennials make up a strong portion of the voter base. And, and sorry, you would like to see Biden disavow that the far left? Is that what you were saying? No. And I would like to see what what are you going to do to convince these voters? What are you going to do to convince the far far left voters to support Biden? Yes, I see. Right sorry. They're, they're, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm it was sorry. just I it was hard. Um, I, I think I understand now. So you would like to see Joe Biden like do more in terms of overtures towards the far far left to get them engaged in the Democratic Party generally, like the, and to come together? Uh, I would say so, because we're an important part of the voter base. We have a lot of millennials who are advocating things like Medicare for all and reducing income inequality. And those things were rejected by Biden. Loudly. Thank you very much for for clarifying. Uh, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga, do you have a reaction to Andrew about what he's saying? Yeah. Hi, thank you so much for that. I would like to say that I think that it's hard as someone who did vote for Bernie Sanders to try to put myself in a perspective to support Joe Biden because he did come out last night saying he does not support the Green New Deal, etc. And I feel as if a lot of Democrats who are more left-leaning do not feel represented by Joe Biden. But I also feel like Joe Biden is willing to work with other people in the Democratic Party to make sure that we all do feel represented. And that is what has been helping me to be more supportive of Joe Biden. And he has came out with plans alongside the Bernie Sanders campaign to address climate change, to address health care, to address education. I think that to me speaks volumes of the type of leadership that he will he will do in office. Well, 
Thanks so much, Elizabeth Rocha Zuniga. Really appreciate having your perspective on, also the perspective of Spencer Linquist, a student at Pepperdine University and head of Pepperdine College Republicans, and Brandon Jetter, a student at UC Davis, a columnist for the California Aggie. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and sharing what your reactions are, what you're thinking about with regard to the election, what your reactions were to the debate. We'll have more with our first-time voters and we'll meet some emerging voters after the break. You're listening to our show about voting in the 2020 election with young voters. I'm Nina Kim. Stay with us. This is Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about voting in the 2020 election. We've got a panel of young voters with us. And with us still is Kat Mrozek, a high school student in Pasadena, who turns 18 on November 2nd. And joining me now is Joanne Lee Venegas, a high school student in Oakland, who turned 18 in January. Thanks so much for joining us, Joanne Lee. Hi. I understand that you've also been wanting to vote for a while, that you pre-registered at 17. What motivated you? Um, well, you know, um, me and my sister, like, we were born here in the United States and my parents, you know, so, like, we just have, like, you know, um, just, like, a lot of things that... Uh, Joanne Lee, I think we need to just work on your connection just a little bit. In the, Can you hear me, Joanne Lee? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, go right ahead. Um, me and my sister, like, we were, we were both... Uh... Joanne Lee, again, the connection is a little bit off. While we try to get that straightened out, I'd also like to introduce a few more people for this final segment. Um, we're talking about young voters, and we're actually going to be including the voices now of middle school and high school students. KQED's education team, in partner with the PBS NewsHour and the National Writing Project, launched what's called Let's Talk About Election 2020. It's a youth media challenge to amplify middle school and high school voices to learn what political issues they care about. And joining me is Teresa Wersbianska, a program manager for student media and classroom learning at KQED Education. Thanks so much for being here, Teresa. Hi, Teresa, are you with us? Well, while we also try to connect with Teresa, maybe we can hear what is a montage of different student voices. Again, this is Let's Talk About Election 2020. Let's listen now. America, when you are voting for the next president, take account of the people from around the world looking for their opportunities that they won't be able to take because America isn't letting them. America was built from refugees and immigrants, so inviting more of them can help build our country and make us better. Not everyone is here to harm us, and we can grow more as a community. Colleges should become more affordable across the country to all people, providing them with a strong and foundational education. The average health care premium for a single person is just shy of $7,000, meaning that the cost of health care takes roughly 15% of the average person's income. Far too much. What's the solve for this? Let the businesses compete for the customer and take the government out of the equation. Back alley abortion accounted for 17% of all deaths related to childbirth and pregnancies. This just goes to show you that while you can make it illegal, you cannot stop abortion. Abortion should also stay legal because the rate has reached a new low and continues to drop. With these low numbers, we should be ensuring that every single one of these procedures is safe and accessible. 
The severity of COVID-19 has been the major issue in several countries. And in America, the impact of COVID has greatly surpassed that of every other country in the world. A well-rounded and thought-out response is needed. When the Second Amendment is brought up, people always shout about gun violence. The thing is, banning guns is in no way going to stop these mass shootings. The laws that are set up in place are not what actually prevent crime, it is the enforcement of those laws. Good people with guns can act as both an action step to stop those crimes while they're happening and as a deterrent to them. I do not believe guns in the home make people safer. Probably for any story where a person uses a gun to defend themselves, there are many more where people were accidentally shot. But most of what we hear about today is not accidental shootings. It is shootings in schools, clubs, and stores. In 2019, the U.S. hit a record high of mass shootings. America is a country known for its freedom and liberty. Anyone can be whoever they want as long as they put their mind to it, right? Unfortunately, where there is opportunity for some, there are inequality and injustices for others. As a young woman, I myself have experienced times where my capability of doing something was questioned because I am a female. Over the years, the climate has changed drastically. We're experiencing heat we have never felt before. Not only is it affecting us right now, it will affect us greatly in the future. Wondering what this is? What's well, climate change? My family and I have lived in the Golden State since I was around eight, but we never experienced such heat. We knew California gets hot, but when the temperature went up to 115 degrees in September, it was unbelievable. It was no surprise that eventually the forest fires began again. Although it's true Earth's climate is always changing, it can't be discounted that climate change is affecting us the most right now. And those are voices from KQED Education's Let's Talk About Election 2020, a compilation of youth voices from middle and high school. And with us is high school student Joanne Lee Venegas. She's a high school student in Oakland. And I think your connection is working now, Joanne Lee. Hi. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was I know that you became politically active once Trump became president and even led some student marches in response to his his election in 2016. I was wondering if you could tell us what you say that some people in your generation to this day don't take seriously voting and politics. What are you trying to say or do to try to get your peers motivated to vote? All right, Joanne Lee, I'm sorry. We're just unfortunately going to have to drop the line, but thanks so much for trying to call in. Kat Mrozak, same question to you. I know that you're very politically active as well. What do you try to say to get high school students more engaged? Yeah, so I've definitely seen, you know, as I've seen a trend in my peers of getting more politically active, I've also seen a trend of several people saying that they're planning on not voting because they don't have a candidate that aligns, you know, exactly with their views. I know I had a lot of peers that were um, Bernie Sanders supporters or Elizabeth Warren supporters who are, you know, really disappointed with Biden and also disappointed with Trump and, you know, aren't feeling represented. And that's been tough for me to see because I think that using your voice is really important, you know, especially in an election as pivotal as this one. Um, so kind of what I've been telling people is, look, especially um, to, you know, my, my peers who are maybe who were Bernie supporters or along those lines, I've been basically saying, look, it's important to, you know, keep, you know, letting your voice be heard write to your representatives and go out and protest, you know, if you have things that you want to be heard, but you have to vote too. It won't solve all of our problems. It's not like a band-aid fix, but, but you need to use your voice and let yourself be heard in the political system. It's so important to make sure that 
you know, you're participating in this, it's better to, you know, make a little bit of progress forward, even if it's not perfect, than to just stay still where you are and wonder why the world isn't moving around you. Well, joining me now are two high school students who are not eligible to vote yet. Khalil Maiden is a high school student at Oakland's Bishop O'Dowd. Thanks so much for joining us, Khalil. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And also with us is Grace Jones. She's a high school student in Santa Cruz. Hi, Grace. Hi. And I believe Teresa Wiersbianska is also with us now, program manager of student media and classroom learning at KQED Education. Yes, hello, good to Hi. be here. Hi, Teresa, glad to have you here as well. Well, Khalil Maiden, let me start with you. I know you also submitted an issue to Let's Talk About Education, uh, Let's Talk About Election 2020. Can you tell me what was the issue that you raised? Yeah, my my main issue was racism. Um, as a young black man in America, that's my main concern currently. Uh, considering the civil rights protest of Black Lives Matter, it and how important it is to you know the outcome of this election. Um, I focused on you know raising the awareness of the true importance, the meaning behind why this movement is is happening. It's more than just than just people being killed and and then not having justice um, for their deaths. It's also a long time of not getting what was deserved for the the work and the unrepresentation of our people. Um, right now, we're seeing what is the culmination of many, many, many decades of unrest and right now this is the this is the most pivotal moment we'll see since hmm. since the 60s since the 60s um regarding the civil rights uh movement and the election so you do really feel when people say that this is such a consequential election grace jones what about for you what's the issue that you care about most that you're passionate about well for the youth media challenge i submitted a podcast about climate justice as a right which to me i'm fairly active in the climate justice community here in santa cruz and it's just an overwhelming issue that extends to many different other factors of social justice and will affect us in i mean ways we can't even understand in the decades to come yeah, I was really struck by how you have said that you find it really hard to have confidence in our leadership and that you find yourself crying because of it. What is it that you would like to tell our government leaders about how they should how they should behave and how they should work on this issue? Yes, I mean, for me, I really believe in the ideas and the ideals of the Green New Deal, being able to create new jobs and a new economy based off of climate justice. And what I really want in the next president is an aggressive climate action plan that will, in the next 10 years, attempt to get us um, in accord with the Paris Agreement and also go even beyond that. I really just, I mean, watching the debates last night, I either want to laugh or to cry, mm -hmm. and that is not how I want to feel about my government. Well, let me go to caller Jackie in San Jose. Hi, Jackie. Hello. Hi, what's on your mind? What would you like to say? Hi, so I just wanted to, again, talk about the climate change, as you guys were speaking about, and in regards to climate change and the apparent inaction that our president has taken, where do you guys stand on the prioritization that amplifies business powers rather than, like, looming and unchangeable effects on our environment, um, since our president has, hasn't really spoken about it and continues to um, disregard it as an actual problem? Uh, 
Kat, did you want to weigh in on that as well, in terms of how our president has treated climate change based on this question from Jackie, who I'm hearing is also a first-time voter? Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, I've been really worried about the climate, especially right now, as the president really hasn't been making any progress on this. And it's such a looming issue that is so urgent that if we don't start making you know progress on this now, it's going to be irreversible. Some effects of it are already irreversible. Um, I was worried when he pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords at the beginning of his presidency. I'm, I may not love all of Joe Biden's policies, but him saying yesterday on the debate, um, in one of the coherent moments of the debate, that um, he would go back into the Paris Climate Accords was hopeful for me. And obviously, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to be done besides that. But having a president who acknowledges that climate change exists and that it's a problem that needs to be, you know, moved towards solving is, I think, something that we desperately need right now. Let me go next to caller Carrie in San Jose. Hi, Carrie. Hi. I just wanted to know if your panelists think that uh, young people were as offended as the rest of us by the abysmal moderating and if they think ideas like putting them in a soundproof uh, individual booth with the microphone turned off of the non-speaker so they can't crosstalk or what other ideas your panelists have hmm. for improving the debate so that they can actually hear the ideas of the candidates. Khalil, Maiden, did you watch the debate last night or some of it? I did. And what was your reaction? Were you as offended, say, as Carrie saying she's talking about the moderator, but also curious uh, what other reaction you had to it? I, I believe the moderator was trying to uphold a level of respect uh, towards not only the president, but the the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden. Um, but he did, I do agree on the fact that he did take a very lackluster approach towards controlling the the debate. Um, I think that solutions mentioned like soundproofing boxes uh, designated for uh, each candidate would be a good solution. I've seen uh, muting the mics as well. Um, there's a level of, of action they could have taken to, you know, prevent this, but in I think his defense, I doubt he expected such a performance between the two candidates. Um, my Did reaction you, was yeah. Oh, go, go right ahead. That was exactly what I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Your reaction. Yeah, my my reaction was uh mixed. Uh, similar similar to Grace, I uh I was I was I, I found it very comedic how it seemed like just a very just a very aggressive um you know interaction between the two more so from president trump than um than biden but there was a level of a mutual aggression between the two when they both started to just speak over each other nonstop in an in a unintelligible uh, just mishmash of words and 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 lies and, and claims and this and that. Yeah. Well, let me see if I can squeeze Zara from San Jose in here. Hi, Zara. Hi. Hi. Go right ahead. Oh yeah. Um, I think one of the main points that I wanted to say is that um, our generation has been the generation with social media on our fingertips, and we have the ability to get as much information as possible. Um, which has allowed us to not only be fed in correct information, but also false information, which I think is another huge reason why there are some 
people who are my age who don't want to vote is because they're being fed um, this type of information that really isn't true, especially with um, a lot of President Trump's input on uh, mail-in voting and how it's going to commit voter fraud. But when you actually look into it, it doesn't have that type of um, precedent Mm. because we have been having mail-in voting for a really long time. And personally, I also try to make sure that I'm not just getting information from random people on Twitter or Instagram. I'm also looking into specific newspapers and seeing like where um, they're which sides they're on, for instance, like The Guardian and um, The New York Times, which are typically uh, left-sided, whereas I also try to make sure I'm getting information from um, places like uh, The National Review and seeing how um, they're getting the same. Like, for instance, with the presidential debate, I saw that it said that um, there are portions of, it had portions of each part of the debate and how it leaned towards one um, presidential nomination and um, didn't favor the other one. And I think that our generation, with all this information, we're um, trying to navigate through all of that and trying to make sure that we're getting accurate information, which I think is one of the biggest factors. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, And I understand Mm -hmm. you're a first-time voter as well. Well, Ruth writes, I'm an old voter, and I have a message for young voters. This isn't a marriage. It isn't death till death do you part. This is more like public transit. There are two buses. Neither will take you all the way to your destination, but one takes you in the direction you want to go. Tom writes, what can we do to get young people not just to vote, but also to run for office? The The old policies of the past can only change if young people start occupying elected positions. Grace Lee, are you interested in running for our office? Would you like to see the voting age lowered as well? Was that question directed at me? Yeah, would you, do you have, Grace Jones, I'm sorry, do you have um, aspirations to run for office? You know, maybe someday. At the moment, of course, I'm below the voting age even, which is very frustrating to me as someone who is very politically minded. Yes, you're a high school freshman. Yes. but someday I could see myself running for positions in Congress or even at the state or city level. And I think it's very important that everyone see that those opportunities are open to them someday. And uh, so it hasn't deterred your your engagement. Do you think that you would like to see the voting age lowered, say, to 16 or 17? That's a big statement to make. I would say... It would be nice even just one year if it would be lowered, because I think one of the big things is that voting is not a faucet of American education as much. And if it were lowered to, say, 17, it could be taught in school. It could be a class. Teresa, where's Beyonce? We heard a lot of issues that young people care about, but tell us some that you had heard a lot that hasn't been mentioned yet. Oh, yeah. I mean, we definitely heard about climate change not a surprise. Uh, young people have been super involved and in leaders in that movement for quite a while. Gun legislation and the montage leading up, uh, definitely a big one. Um, some of the ones that were a little... little just one more, yeah. One surprising one is healthcare. Um, I was surprised because I, I don't consider healthcare to be something top of mind for young people who usually leave that up to their parents to make those kinds of decisions around yes. insurance. Yeah, that's that is really interesting. So glad to hear so much engagement, so much interest in a broad range of issues from Grace Jones, Khalil Maiden, Kat Mrozak, and thanks Teresa Weirs Bianska. And thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments, to Ariana Prail for producing this segment. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.